So according to the Greeks, uh, it's possible to know about bikes without ever knowing how to ride one. According to the Hebrews, it's not. So according to the Greeks, which in this context is sort of code for uh, philosophers, thinkers, academics, according to the Greeks, it's possible to have such a complete theoretical understanding of something that you could be an expert. You could be an expert in bicycles without having ever learned to ride one. According to the Hebrews, the Jews, who, who rejected the Greek, you know, platonic thinking, who rejected the idea of the archetype and the pure ideal and all of that, who, who, who said that in order to know something, you had to really know it, according to the Jews, you could not be an expert on bicycles without riding one. They had a very real-world, practical, earthy understanding of knowledge. Today, we are going to look at a confusing and confused prophet. We're going to look at uh, Jonah, who is this combination of a Jewish nationalist with a sort of misguided Greek idealist and uh, he is going to come face to face with some real world and very practical truths. So uh, we are looking at a, a text. We're looking at this book of Jonah, which as many of you know, is not the story many people think it is. It's quite different as a matter of fact. Uh, it, it doesn't end the way people expect. The point is not the one people are looking for. But uh, in this passage today, we're going to see Jonah take some steps forward. And uh, it sort of looks like the story we expect, but uh, if you've read through the book, and if you haven't, you need to. It's only four chapters. It's only two pages. You need to know what's coming because uh, the, the three steps that Jonah takes forward today, he is going to take backwards when we get to chapters uh, four, when we get to chapter four. In fact, he takes such a big step backwards in chapter four that many people suspect that he's just faking it in chapter two. Um, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think he's faking it. I think that Jonah, just like uh, you, <laughs> just like me, is a complicated person who has, uh, who has better intentions than they have follow through. And I think he, he makes some mistakes. I think Jonah is eventually going to get it right because I think Jonah writes the book of Jonah. And so he's got to get on the other side of this whole issue. Uh, but, but I don't think that that happens uh, quickly. So, all that to say, it's complicated, and uh, in today's text, we're going to see him um, have some breakthroughs. It looks like the story you might expect it to be, but stay with us. So, to get you back to this story, let me make four quick points by way of review. Number one, Jonah is an 8th century Jewish prophet. He is the church's, or the Jewish people's, first short-term missionary. He had been ministering to the 10 uh, northern tribes in Israel when God calls him and sends him to the Assyrians uh, who are living in Nineveh. He's supposed to go and he's supposed to say to them, uh, stop it. Uh, enough is enough. Uh, God is patient, but uh, he's not going to give you much longer to stop with the, the very wicked and cruel uh, culture that you have embraced. Point number two, uh, he doesn't like these orders, so he doesn't follow them. God tells him to go to uh, Nineveh. Instead, he does the uh, sort of 8th century BC equivalent of hopping on a jet and going to New Zealand and getting as far away from God and his assignment as is possible. 
By way of a side note, let me, let me state. If you want to run from God, there's almost always a ship waiting to take you to Tarshish. And it doesn't work. You cannot outrun God. Uh, not long term anyway. And Jonah is going to figure that out. Uh, I, my, <laughs> I, would, I would compare running away from God or trying to deny God, trying to ignore God, uh, to be a bit like keeping a beach ball underwater. You can do it for a while, but it's a pretty full-time occupation. And uh, it takes a lot of your energy to keep that beach ball underwater. And if you get jostled by life, if you get jostled by something, that beach ball is going to come popping right up. And uh, we sort of see that experience for Jonah. Uh, so point number three, uh, Jonah's efforts to run from God do not work. Uh, he is on a ship headed to Tarshish when this big storm comes. And uh, last week, the campus pastors looked at this, uh, looked at the end of chapter one and looked at, at the, the steps that the sailors went through and then looked at what happened uh, to Jonah and uh, leads up to the big uh, fish moment. So I, by the way, I'll remind you, I'm already on record as saying, yes, I, th I think it happened. I don't understand it. It had to be a miracle. Makes no sense to me that Jonah could stay alive for more than, you know, a minute or two in the belly of a fish. Uh, so there has to be something supernatural going on here. Or uh, God simply has to resurrect Jonah after three days in the belly of a fish, which, of course, he has uh, proven that he can do. Uh, that leads to point number four. There's actually a lot of other things that I hope you have picked up uh, so far in this, uh, in this quick study of Jonah. I hope that you have picked up, for instance, that it's not about the fish. I hope that you picked up that Jonah is, uh, is an example uh, of how not to be an example. I mean, like he's doing everything wrong. He's the prophet of God. He's the one that's supposed to be loving and gracious and thoughtful and spiritually tuned into God. And consistently, he's proving to be, um, he's just proving to be dense and clueless. And he's proving to, to need the mercy he's denying to other people. Uh, three, I hope you picked up uh, on the fact that uh, part of Jonah's problems is that he is blinded by his nationalism and it prevents him from seeing some of the ways he's supposed to love other people. And fourth, uh, I, I've talked at some length uh, about the fact that uh, that this is a profound work of literature, that there's so much, uh, so many word plays and so much symbolism and so much parallelism and other things that are going on here. So there's a whole bunch of points I, I, I hope you're picking up on uh, that, that we don't have time to really review. But the big one, the, the big one that you've got to see is that, of course, that the book of Jonah is a foreshadowing of the life of Christ. Jonah is pointing ahead to Jesus. And in the, in the way that he dies, that he is going to sacrifice himself for the others on the ship and that he's going to sink down into the earth and then three days later be resurrected, all of that is pointing ahead to Jesus. Jesus is the, is the, the new and better Jonah. So uh, we made that point over and over. Uh, today we pick up uh, with chapter 2 where Jonah is in distress and he calls out to the Lord. So, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, uh, his God. So we're going to get uh, a prayer. Jonah chapter 2 is mostly a prayer. We get a little bit of running commentary at the same time. 
So Jonah said, uh, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Now, again, I will point out, there is a school of thought that suggests that Jonah is not sincere in crying out to the Lord when he's been thrown overboard and is sinking uh, to the bottom. Uh, and those who say this say that obviously if Jonah's not sincere, if this is sort of a fake prayer, if he's trying to play God, God knows that. And it only highlights how much more gracious God is. Uh, I, I tend not to buy that theory. I, I'm not against it. But I, I suspect that if you've... <laughs> I'm just thinking that if I'm sinking to the bottom of the ocean that uh, I'm not going to be playing it cool. I think I'm going to be praying a crisis prayer. So uh, I think that this is a real prayer, although I think Jonah messes up um, and he's going he's gonna, to uh, backslide a little bit as we get uh, later into the book. So he's, he's praying. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Several times he's going to mention temple. Um, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. This is about as low as you can go. I will remind you there's a couple a uh, couple times in the book of Jonah where uh, God says, arise and go do this, you know, arise and pray. The sea captain says that. Uh, but, but Jonah keeps going down, down, down. So you can't, <laughs> I don't think you can go any deeper than the roots of the mountain under, under the ocean um, surface. So he goes down to the roots of the mountain I sank down, the earth beneath me barred. Uh, me in forever. So, um, look, this is, um, this is uh, quite a passage, and uh, I have, um, as I have been reflecting on it, I have, I have reflected on the fact that I know some of you are um, sinking, and that's tragic, what is perhaps sometimes even um, compounding the tragedy is that some of you who are sinking uh, are still running from God and not crying out to him. And, uh, and it's very hard to help people who don't want help. I, I you know, again, I'm, I'm now, if not the old guy, I'm certainly the oldish guy. And uh, with 30 plus years of being a pastor, I know uh, that there are lots of times that people come around somebody and all collectively say, look, uh, we love you, we care for you, we want the best for you. The path that you're on is not going to end well. And uh, it's, it's very hard for somebody to hear that and accept it and to turn. Oftentimes, uh, we have to get to the very bottom of the bottom of the bottom before we uh, agree and we, we say, I'm going to have to go forward with this. So, um, I don't know if you're in that situation right now. 
but I know that many times it's, it's very hard for people uh, to stop making bad choices. And I just would point out, uh, if you're willing to stop making bad choices, if this is you, right, if this is you, if you're willing to stop making bad choices, there are almost certainly people around you who are, uh, if you're serious, are willing to jump back in and to try and help. Um, so, J.I. Packer writes about something in his book, Knowing God, which is a classic uh, book. And in Knowing God, he makes observations about grace, which is really sort of a subtext of what's going on here. Several times, verse 4, verse 7 in uh, chapter 2, we're going to see uh, appeals to the temple, appeals to God, appeals to God's grace. And uh, Packer, in his uh, book, Knowing God, sort of talks about some conditions of grace, or he talks about some of the things that, that have to be in place for us to sort of embrace grace, if that makes sense. Um, so he talks about the fact that for many people, um, even before he gets to his three points, he talks about the fact that for many people, grace is an abstract concept. And they may understand it <laughs> like the Greeks understand bicycles, but not understand it the way Hebrews, uh, a Jew, um, uh, would say you have to understand it. And I, I know this was true for me. I've shared about this in the past. But when I had this brain injury that led to a stroke, and I'm in the neuro ICU uh, ward at uh, Northwestern Hospital downtown, that uh, there was a number of days early on when I couldn't swallow and I couldn't roll over, and the result is I would wake up choking on my own saliva, and Sherry uh, would have to run over and sort of pull me onto my side so that I could spit into this cup. It was pretty, uh, it was a low point. <laughs> Let's just say that. And I remember at one point, uh, you know, sort of get through this, and I said to her, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she goes, what, you don't have to be sorry. And I said, you, you didn't sign up for this. And she said, oh, this is exactly what I signed up for. And I said, look, I, 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 I get it, I get it. You're caring for me, you love me, but, but I can do nothing to reciprocate. Like, I got nothing. I got nothing. I am a, I am a, a very needy, completely dependent person imposing on every moment that you're awake and that you're asleep because you got to sleep with one ear to the fact that I'm going to wake up coughing. And, uh, and she said, right, right, that's all true. <laughs> but she goes, Mike, that's grace. You can't do anything. You don't have to do anything. She goes, this is grace. And I said, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't like grace. <laughs> she said, yeah. For somebody who spends a lot of time talking about grace, she goes, you've never really understood it. And uh, she said, this, look, there is a, just a complete dependence. And, and you just depend on someone who loves you to care for you. And if they don't, there's nothing you can do. And uh, so, so that kind of shocking grace is something that we often, it's not the way the world generally works. And so we often do not understand grace in that context. And uh, so, so when we're looking at uh, what's going on for Jonah, uh, we see that he doesn't understand it. But 
back to Packer's three points. He, he makes three, um, he sort of describes three steps to sort of pulling apart grace and understanding how God's grace works. The first is what Packer, in a very British way, uh, calls moral ill deserts. So um, he just says, look, we have to understand that we deserve justice. And uh, given that we are broken, sinful people, justice is not good news. We don't want justice. People often say, I want justice. You, I, I don't want justice. I want grace. Uh, given our sin, justice is not good news. He goes on to note that in our therapeutic feel-good, um, our biggest problem is low self-esteem culture. We, we seem to think that, you know, we should feel good about ourselves. And when somebody comes along and says that uh, there are absolutes and there are rights and there are wrongs and that what we're doing is wrong and that we should confess that, uh, people are often horrified, scandalized, shocked, furious. But, but the idea is, I mean, the, the biblical concept of grace goes out of this idea that we are broken. We... The longer I live, the more I see the truth to the idea that we are going to reap what we sow. And, and when we reap sin, we are going to sow chaos. And so people often find themselves in chaos, and they're very mad about that, and they're very mad that their actions are being deemed as wrong. And yet, this is where this starts. So we have to just be shocked by the fact that there is right and wrong, good and evil, and uh, that when we do evil, we deserve justice. The second uh, point that we need to understand, according to Packer, in our unpacking the way God's grace sort of superintends over all of this, the second thing we need to understand is our spiritual impotence, which is that we, we, we simply cannot help ourselves. This was me in, in a neuro ICU bed uh, in the hospital. I, I could not do anything. I could not fix my problems. Now, in today's culture, we, again, we believe that through some combination of therapy uh, and technology, we're going to be able to better ourselves. And we have to understand that in God's economy, that is not the way this is really playing out. Uh, we are, we deserve punishment, and we cannot fix this problem. Uh, which leads to the third thing that we have to grasp in order to understand grace, and that is how much it costs. So uh, again, in, in a couple different occasions in, in uh, chapter two, uh, Jonah is going to appeal to the temple. He, he's going to appeal uh, to this place where God's grace is being poured out through the, the sacrificial deaths uh, of an innocent substitute. And this brings us um, to the Holy of Holies. So these are the Kohalites who were the people deemed in, in uh, the Jewish um, sort of um, nomenclature to carry the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant is this box. Here's another look at it. We don't have it. Uh, we don't know where it's at. If, if you watched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know that uh, Indiana Jones was looking for it. So the Ark of the Covenant... Uh, back at the time that the Ark of the Covenant was in the possession of the Jews. The Ark of the Covenant had uh, stone uh, tablets of the Ten Commandments, 
It had um, Aaron's rod, which was a stick that continued to blossom. And it had a gold pot with a manna from heaven. And the, the mercy seat, which is this gold slab on top, which has, uh, which has symbols of two uh, angels on top of it. The mercy seat was covering this. And, and this, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was, uh, was, was the place in the Holy of Holies where once a year on the Day of Atonement, the, uh, the high priest would go in and, and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the world. A very symbolic act in the Holy of Holies. The, the law, the Ten Commandments are in here, which none of us can keep. And so the, the blood of a sacrifice is being poured on top of the law that cannot be kept. And, and this is all symbolic of, of the of the idea that a huge sacrifice is required to, to cover our sins. God doesn't forgive sin. God does not forgive sin. God forgives repentant sinners. And the sin has to be atoned for, and so that's part of the whole thing. By the way, in the, um, if you've read 1 Samuel, you know that the whole premise of the Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is that the, you know, um, uh, Indiana Jones, uh, Harrison Ford was trying to find the ark to keep it from falling into the hands of the Nazis because the belief was whoever had the ark, the covenant, this was, a, this was sort of a locus point of God and they would have this ability to supernaturally defeat their enemies. In 1 Samuel 4, the Jews carried it out into battle uh, against the Assyrians and they lost the battle and they lost the ark. Uh, now, the ark came back because the Assyrians had the ark for a while, but it was causing all kinds of chaos in their camp. They didn't want it, kept knocking down their idols. And uh, so they, they got rid of it, uh, gave it back to the Jews. But um, so the symbolism here, again, let's, that's, that's what I want to point to. In order to understand the, the broader theological point here is that uh, this idea of grace, we are sinners— we cannot save ourselves. We can only be rescued through a very costly intervention by God. All of that is sort of playing out uh, in chapter 2 of Jonah. Jonah alludes to this in his prayer. His attention is, is, is reaching out and, and appealing to the grace and the mercy of God. So the passage goes on. But you, Lord my God, and he's using the covenant name for God, uh, Yahweh I am. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. You saved me, right? When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. The appeal to God. And, uh, and our God is in it. Well, the appeal to God that is made by Jonah. So um, this passage is a significant one and, it, and it, it highlights the fact that our heart needs to be soft to our own sin and to God's grace and we need to continue to cry out to him. So my devotions... Um, in my devotions this week, I, was, I read through the Psalms, part of, uh, part of my devotional practice, I read through the Psalms, and today I came to Psalm 115, and it was really, uh, there was a couple of verses in here that jumped out at me in light of what was going on 
with the Ark of the Covenant and the appeal to God's grace. So this is, uh, this is Psalm 115 beginning with verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Uh, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. Now, our idols are, are a little bit more sophisticated, but maybe not made by silver, out of silver and gold, but made by us uh, or fashioned in some sense by us. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So the, the, the big point here is these idols, these things that we might turn to other than God, looking for our salvation, looking for a way forward, these idols are worthless. They have no power except this, the power to make us like them, which is to be, in essence, spiritually powerless. The power of the, of the passage of, of this psalm highlights the fact that idols have no power other than to corrupt us. Jonah is, is in a battle with the belief that he knows a better way than the way God has set before him. I want to say to you, uh, you do not want to be like Jonah. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So, uh, this, this second chapter of Jonah is, is uh, it, well, it's, again, almost exclusively a prayer. It is theologically loaded, and it is complicated in the sense that it's, it sure seems like Jonah is making a very real appeal uh, to God. But then when we get to chapter 4, we're going to see it sure doesn't look like he did. So I want to say this as, uh, as we wrap up our reflection on Jonah 2. There's plenty of lessons here. Uh, for some of you, maybe the lesson is to re realize that you cannot run from God. Jonah is a case study in running from God does not work. At some point, uh, you will face God. And it's so much better to cry out to his grace and mercy now than it is to put this off. Um, it, it, it's also, um, it's a chapter that makes the suggestion that the real miracle in our lives is not getting swallowed by a fish. The real miracle in our lives is coming to the point where we humble ourselves and repent. And that may be exactly what some of you need to do. But perhaps the biggest point that we could get out of Jonah 2 is in light of Jonah chapter 4 that's coming. And, and, and I, I just would commend to you again and again that the Bible works so much more effectively, the better you know it and the more you understand what's going and coming. And it is, it, it is a book that is alive, living and active and sharper than a two-edged so, sword. It's piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow. Sometimes you, you should have the experience of saying, I'm not reading scripture as much as this book is reading me. 
uh, the author of this book has got my number. He understands what's going on. And so as we read chapter 2, as I'm reading chapter 2 in light of where I know this is headed, I, I am, I am uh, aware of how often my intentions are spiritually noble, but my follow-through is lacking. And uh, I believe that Jonah's prayer in, in chapter 2 is a real sincere prayer. But uh, he doesn't stay with it. He does see God's grace extended to him. Uh, God rescues him. But uh, it's going to be an ongoing uh, iterative process for Jonah to grow in the Lord and to, and to see his heart changed. But eventually, I believe, he gets there. I believe that Jonah gets there because I believe that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. And so he finally gets on the other side. And I want to commend to you, as I commend to myself, an ongoing spirit of repentance. So let me pray for us that we will have those soft hearts this week. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we thank you for a book that unfolds in surprising, nuanced ways. A book that understands uh, our hearts. A book that... Uh, that is clearly inspired by you. And I pray for myself and others that we would have soft hearts, softer even than Jonah in chapter two, that uh, those who are running from you would, would feel uh, your conviction and also your invitation to grace and would reach out to you and that you would save them from the miry depths as, you're, as you saved Jonah. And I pray for those of us who are uh, uh, perhaps on the other side of praying a Jonah 2 prayer, but uh, are, are still praying some Jonah chapter 4 kinds of prayers, that we would press through this, Father, that you would continue the good work you started in our hearts, and that we would uh, persevere to becoming more and more like Christ. To your glory, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.